As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and we've got some weekend to review. Gio Reyna scored, and his reaction made me genuinely emotional, while Miggy Almoron reminded us that it's okay to sign players whose price tag is not extortional. Awon Yi scoring the winner and making himself the hero. Man United fans grateful for the presence of Casemiro. Napoli supporters, Scudetto dreaming, LAFC post-Derby win beaming, and Leeds supporters about the perpetual fate screaming ryan and joe are both otherwise (laughs) occupied and out of town so it's time to hand out some weekend thumbs up and thumbs down joining me to do so is a man who knows Jorginho is mighty at a pen it's the one the only mr graham ruthven hi graham hi taylor rockwell that was a very good ryan bailey impersonation there with with the rhyme and what did you rhyme ruthven with at the end there a pen Jorginho pen very good yeah I'm, i'm running out of things i don't know if you actually feel that way about a Jorginho pen but i was running through the ruthven rhyming catalog and came up with pen and the only one Uh i could remember on the fly was Jorginho uh taking a pen so Jorginho's penalty routine just gives me stress Quite okay. frankly, I think <laughs> yeah. a very stressful experience. It's, it's the same with uh, Joseph Martinez whenever he takes a penalty like that. Run in the hop? Yeah, just anxiety inducing. <laughs> is it, uh, is it, I've heard people say this before. I think I feel the same way. Is it because of how like horrifically that could go wrong? Because he's literally flying through the air right before he kicks it. Is that what it is? Yeah, a little bit. It's because the, the the standing foot isn't planted by the time he takes the kick. So it feels a little bit like a lucky dip where that ball could go anywhere, which I guess is maybe the, the theory behind it. Because if Jorginho doesn't, or if I don't know where it's going, then the goalkeeper doesn't know where it's going either. But yeah, it's, it's a stressful experience for me. So if I, sa- if I said you said Jorginho is mighty at a pen, should it be mostly mighty Is if I'm making this accurate? Because it really was just about the rhyme scheme. So too was me coming up with the word extortional instead of extortionate. But whatever, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, senselessly uh, phenomenal with the pen. I don't, I'm not sure there's much logic behind it, but it seems to work. So keep right, well, doing if, what you're doing, Jorginho. <laughs> if people have uh, rhyming ideas for what I could rhyme Ruffin with that uh, are, are like 
PG-13 rated. I think that's what allows <laughs> us to be clean on iTunes. Uh, but on today's episode, since it is just myself and Graham, we didn't want to do the full weekend review yeah. uh, because that seemed like a lot of work. So we're going to go back to the uh, the classic format, the thumbs up, thumbs down. It lets us talk about some of the big games, but some of the big moments, but just in a who had a good weekend, who did well, who did bad, who gets a thumbs up, who, who gets a thumbs down. And Graham, there is, I should have reminded you, the opportunity to do thumbs medium if you're not quite okay. sure if it was good or bad. Uh, does that does that all make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, thumbs medium is pretty much my general rating of most <laughs> things in life. I feel like today's show might be more of a weekend ramble than a weekend yeah. review. Oh, we're gonna, good chance. Yeah, we're going to find out what happens when we don't have Ryan and Joe to give us some structure. This, this could get loosey-goosey. Uh, we, we've talked two games and it's been four and a half hours. We should probably call this one quits. Uh, yeah, let's, let's get to the weekend that was. We're going to spend a good amount of time in the Premier League, but let's start in the Bundesliga, Graham. Do you have some thumbs for a certain young American? I do indeed. So the biggest thumbs up of the weekend, straight off the bat, is Gio Reyna's goal for yep. Borussia Dortmund against Stuttgart. His first oh, Bundesliga man. goal for 421 days. And if his goal was a thumbs up, his celebration was one of those great big novelty foam thumbs up you get at sporting <laughs> events because that was the best bit of this goal. The goal itself was very nice. So Makuku spots Reyna as, as he's left inside the the box. He's free on and, and on the left side inside the penalty area. He rolls the, the ball to him and Reyna just takes his time to guide a, a right-footed finish into the far corner of the net. So a very nice goal. But the celebration, yeah. he does a sort of knee slide with his arms up in the air. And then he just falls over, so he's face first on the ground. And you can just tell that that is all the frustration coming out of him. As I say, 421 days without a goal in the Bundesliga. All those injuries, all those false dawns and stuttering recoveries. I don't want to jinx anything, and my, and my desk is wood, so I am, I'm touching wood right now so that I, I don't jinx anything. But it feels like for the first time in 12 months that Gio Reyna's starting to build a little bit of momentum. He played 66 minutes in this match. That's the joint longest he's, he's played in a match this season. He's now played 11 games since the start of September. Some of them, a lot of them, substitute appearances, but nonetheless... He's getting those minutes in his legs. He, the the three games yeah. that he has started for Dortmund this season, in one of those matches, he got two assists, um, and then he scored in, in this match, of course, and then the third match was away to City. So so that's a that's a difficult one. But dare I say it, is Gio Reyna finding form at the right time? Because it kind of feels like maybe he is. Here is my answer to that. Maybe, but I don't care right now, because I just care that he scored. It was one of my favorite moments of the weekend. And I will add, I didn't see this before I looked at the document of like the kind of like very abbreviated running order we have here. And I saw Graham's note about his celebration and letting the frustration out. And I assumed that that was going to be one of those like, yeah, like, come on, like really into it. And to see his celebration, if people haven't, it's very reminiscent in my mind of when John Brooks scores for the USA against yeah, Ghana and sort of has that like, oh, I can't believe this happened and just sort of falls over, lays face down, his teammates mob him. But you can see in that moment that it's just, it's relief of all that pent-up frustration as you said it's just it's happiness it's frustration melting away it's it's just it's so many positive things and i think for american fans who have wanted positive things for Gio Reyna, but also mm -hmm. just for the u.s men's national team as a whole it was a if not cathartic moment then just a very very happy one yeah you, it's almost a reminder you can see in his own mind him thinking hey i can still do this like right? i'm still yeah. capable yeah, yeah, of yeah. scoring a goal like this which obviously we all knew that he was and I guess he did as well but 
having that thought and actually doing it are two different things. So I totally agree with the, the John Brooks comparison. It very much just felt like a, a natural, it's not a very coherent celebration. I've seen better choreographed celebrations in my time, yeah. but it's, it's just a, it's just a natural outpouring as, of all that frustration, as I say. Yeah, I remember. So I've I've had a few different uh, injuries in my soccer career. I blew out my knee once completely. And that was really difficult to come back from. It takes a lot of time, obviously, to rehab and after the surgery and everything. And one of the first things somebody said to me is like, you have to take a big hit when you in one of your first games. And when you realize like, oh, it's holding, it's fine. Once you do that, that anxiety goes away. And so with certain injuries, you can take that big hit, you can have that big moment, and then off you go. With those types of muscle injuries that he keeps getting, they are the most frustrating thing in the world because it starts to feel like there's no rhyme or reason. It doesn't matter what you do. You can stretch. You can eat right. You can make sure that you're like sprinting at your top speed. That was a thing I heard when I kept pulling my hamstring is like, oh, you're only sprinting at top speed in games. So you have to practice that to get that muscle up. I would do that. I would work on it. And then a couple games later, I would feel that tweak go. And it and it just it starts to sap that confidence and make you feel like it's never going to be the way it's supposed to be. And I imagine for Randa to come in to exit this game and not have to kick a ball away in frustration and demand to be subbed, but then also score that goal. I hope for him, at least it's that feeling of like, oh, right, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And maybe that is also some of that relief. So I think a very happy time for Gio Reyna, hopefully, and for U.S. fans. Uh, Graham, anything else on young Mr. Gio Reyna before we talk about the Premier League? Just the thought of what it means for the U.S., uh, in the World yeah. Cup, if they can get an informed Reina back in, the, in in their team, because that could just be such a game changer for the, for the, for the World Cup. You look at those performances against Japan and Saudi Arabia, and you would say that the US was very much lacking in creativity, and that is obviously something that 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 Gio Reyna brings as well as, as as goal threat. And when you just factor in Pulisic looking good off the bench for Chelsea at, at last week against Brentford, and then he he did reasonably well against Man United as well. Ricardo Pepe, all of a sudden Ricardo Pepe is prime uh, Filippo Inzaghi, yeah. <laughs> for uh, for groaning, and he seems like he can't stop down. scoring. Graham um, says he is Inzaghi. Got it. Cool. Okay. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Born off, born offside. Is that not what Sir Alex Ferguson said about Filippo and, and Inzaghi? Yeah, he did not, indeed. Not 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 that part. The goal scoring part of Filippo Inzaghi's <laughs> career. But yeah, it feels like there's there's some players yeah. who haven't had um, the rub of the green recently. Tim Weah as well, yeah. Tim and Weah. Tim Weah, yeah, for for Leo, he's come back into form. He's he's fit again. So it feels like there's some some players rounding into form just at the right time. And and I can almost hear the Star Spangled Banner getting louder in 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 the background. Graham says USA going to win the World Cup. Just wanted to make sure I had that written down as well. <laughs> Let's move to the Premier League. Let's talk Chelsea won, Man United won. Graham, your thumbs. Where are they? So thumbs up for Manchester United. Not necessarily because hey. the the 1-1 draw against Chelsea was a particularly impressive result. It's not a bad result, but it, it, won't, protect, it won't live long in the memory, you would say, in terms of the result. But for the first time since Alex Ferguson retired nine years ago, it feels like Manchester United Football Club might actually have a functional midfield. I know. What a, what a revelation for a team that spent, you know, what, a billion pounds over the last 10 years to actually have a, yeah. a, a functional, most important important part of the team. But it feels like we're getting to that point. And, and what an incredible difference Casemiro has made in the last two games that the... the the win over Spurs, where he was he was brilliant, and Manchester United in general were very good. And then this draw away to to Chelsea, and just the security that he gives them in the centre of the pitch. I don't think Man United have had that since pff, 
Michael Carrick played in there. In fact, I might yeah. have to go even further back to draw a com- comparison with, with Casemiro. Owen Hargreaves, that's how far back I'm going to, to, to draw a comparison with a minded player that plays like Casemiro. Um, and the knock-on effect of having Casemiro in there is that Ericsson and Bruno Fernandes in particular have that safety net where they have the freedom to focus on what's ahead of them. Um, I, I think a lot of people who haven't watched much Spanish football recently are telling on themselves by expressing so much surprise about how good Casemiro is on the ball and some of his passing because that has, to be honest, been a big part of his game for a good number of seasons. And yeah. I can't remember I can't remember if it was on here or on an article I did for someone, but I wrote about this when Casemiro signed for my United. He's not a ball carrier like De Jong is. He's not necessarily the midfielder that Ten Hag wanted at the start of the transfer window, but he is a very good passer from deep, and and he showed that in in the games against Spurs and Chelsea. So, from a pre- pre- protective point of view, and also from his his uh, looking at his use of the ball and his possession, he's just made such a difference to that United midfield. Yeah, and I think we saw that in in the game against Chelsea, even if the the result in the end didn't necessarily reflect that. Maybe I'm one of those people who's telling on themselves, but I wasn't surprised by the passing from Casemiro. What I didn't think of him as being is a like ball winning midfielder necessarily. I think of him more as with Madrid as like being very good about taking up the positions that are needed to fill holes when like a, a, a defender gets forward, but also to make sure he's shielding certain parts of the defense against the opposition strengths. And I think he reads the game really well. Uh, and and that is all true. But with Men United, I feel like I see him win the ball more and step and win tackles and just have those little poke, poke tackles and and just knocking the ball away to a teammate and then Manchester United reestablished possession. And that also is a thing that they just have not had for so long. A person who reads it well, steps and slows down opposition attacks, can win the ball back. And then certainly scoring in the very, very end of the game, I think yeah. also probably useful. Yeah, my United haven't had many poop houses either since Ferguson awesome, retired. And Casemiro is definitely a poop house. And, and so is Lissandro Martinez. And it feels like Anthony has poop house potential as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's three players that I think, um, obviously everyone has focused on what Ten Hag's doing with his system and my United wanting to be better in the ball. But I think he also just wants, uh, some players who opposition fans will I'm trying to explain this without swearing it's very difficult but yeah you get what I'm trying to say not yeah. not particularly likable footballers but if they're your guys instigators you love them. yeah you want them on your team uh and you don't want to play against them yeah I, I know exactly what you mean and and I think you do have to have some of those to like frustrate the opposition there is a thing to annoying your opponent to the point where they start making mistakes because they're being emotional and and that can be a strength and when you have maybe the talent around the player to back that up and help them do that uh, that also helps so a coherent cohesive Manchester United team I will definitely give that thumbs up but I will give thumbs up as well to Graham Potter uh, for his management in this game blew up uh, yeah, first of all, that always that uh, just just looking very much like I live in London now. I must dress accordingly, even if I think he still is. He's like moved into like fashionable dad territory. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's in like fashionable London territory. We need more chains uh-huh. and like purple suits from him. Then we'll I- know for sure. I can imagine Big Sam watching this game at home and Ten Hag and Graham Potter standing next to each other and, and Graham Potter obviously with his with his uh, you know turtleneck jumper and his, his fashionable blazer and his new fashionable haircut and Ten Hag standing there with his uh, no socks and shoes look and Big Sam thinking, I've been left behind. This is this is no longer my game. <laughs> Games passed me by. I mean, just take the socks off, Big Sam. You'll be fine. And and keep no, maybe drink, don't. Keep, keep drinking the wine. Yeah, definitely. Don't. Never mind. I don't. I don't want to think about Big yeah, Sam. Yeah, I don't want to think about what Big Sam's socks smell like. Jeez. 
<laughs> let's let's move very quickly away from that. Let's get back to just Graham Potter being smart. Uh, now, maybe you could argue he wasn't so smart with the way they started this game, Chelsea, in a 3-4-2-1 versus Manchester United's uh, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to go with. Basically, a midfield three versus a midfield two. And we we used to praise Mauricio Pochettino used to be very big on this. Diego Simeone will do this as well. But the first half sub is an immediate admission by the manager that I got this wrong. But it is also, if done effectively and to improve the quality of the game, it's an admission you got it wrong, but it's also an awareness that you know how to change things quickly. And uh, in the first half, I think in like the 36th minute, there it is, uh, he takes out Kukurea, he brings on Kovacic, he switched them to a back four, he makes it a midfield three, and from that point on, Manchester United still have their chances, obviously, but it felt very one-sided in the opening third or so of this game. And so to me, Graham Potter, having taken over Chelsea relatively recently, I think has definitely gotten some buy-in from the squad to be able to make that change mid-first half and then make additional adjustments as Eric Ten Hag responds to his adjustments. It's a little bit of a chess match, this one. I think it shows how good of a communicator and organizer Graham Potter is. Absolutely. And I saw Sam Tai tweeting during this game. He was saying we should destigmatize managers making changes mm-hmm. in, in the first half or substitutions in the first yeah. half. And I, I wholeheartedly agree because that's one of the most frustrating things. If it's, if it's happening with my team and the, the whole first half, you can see this isn't working. Some, something's wrong here. A change needs to be made. And the, and the manager, not only will the manager wait until half time because there's still a stigma about making changes at half time. They'll wait until the 60th minute to make changes to the team. And you think, why? Why have you waited so long when clearly this the, it was obvious the change that needed to be, be made in the first half and you've just wasted all this time? So I very much like Grim Potter making a change in the first yeah. half. Obviously, the fact that it, it did change the dynamic of the game vindicated him as well. And I just think it, it's 2022. You know, a, ma- a manager can surely, when Cucurella comes off, a manager can have a word with him and say, look, we've just paid... 80 million or whatever it was Chelsea paid for Cucurella. This this is clearly not a, a statement on your ability. We've just got the tactical setup wrong and, and we and we need to and we need to change it. And Cucurella will be back in that Chelsea team soon soon enough. It's it's yeah, not really a course. statement on his ability. So mm-hmm. very much enjoyed Graham Potter making those changes. And it just it just feels like he's kind of in control of things very quickly at Chelsea. You know, he's he, things could have gone differently for Graham Potter. He's coming from a Brighton, so he's not a I know he's highly rated in English football, but he's not he's not seen as one of the the elite yet anyway. He comes into Chelsea. We've seen managers be uh, chewed up and spat out by clubs of, of Chelsea's stature. You yeah. know, think of Roy Hodgson at Liverpool or, uh, you know, various Brent, other... Brendan uh, Rodgers Brent, at Liverpool. Brent, yeah, Brendan <laughs> Rodgers at, at Liverpool. Uh, and every ma- David Moyes at Manchester United. David Moyes yeah, is actually yeah. maybe the best example because obviously David Moyes comes from Everton. He was highly rated. There, there are comparisons. I know they don't play similar type of football, but there's comparisons of David Moyes making the step up to Manchester United and Graham Potter making the step up to Chelsea. And you look at all the problems that, that Moyes had and how he just, he, it just never really felt like his club. Chelsea already feels like yes. Graham Potter's club, yes. which is, yes. which is remarkable for him to have achieved that. And how long has he been there? Like two months or something like that? 
Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Is there because there are those managers. Like I remember reading about. I think it was Gary Monk at Swansea and all the things he had done to make them this modern attacking team. And he brought in sleeping pods and he was revolutionizing like team revolutionizing team chemistry and organization. And I thought, oh, like this is definitely going to be the guy of the future. He's going to be. And then I don't know where Gary Monk manages. And so you can always get those managers who are kind of the flash in the pan, the manager of the moment, and. Graham Potter, I think in my mind was I've maybe thought of him potentially that way, but I think that reveals my my ignorance because in reality he did obviously wonders for Brighton. Even when they would lose players, he would continue to make them what they were. And then he moves to Chelsea, and and it just seems to be a guy who is doing what he wants to do and knows how to make things work and isn't overcomplicating it. When things don't go right, he makes the changes. And with Kukurea this weekend, it's also uh, – I believe I'm correct in saying that he came out and said, like, it wasn't about him. I got the tactics wrong. And I think right there is the other thing you have to be able to do is, yeah, you can take that player off, and you're right. They spend a bunch of money. You know he's going to be back in the team. But it's still a professional athlete who's going to be hurt. He's going to be frustrated. And if you don't have that moment where you're sort of saying, this was on me, not on him, those moments can fester and those little frustrations can build up. And so I think that that's the other, it's like death by a thousand cuts in the Premier League. And I think anything you can do to limit those and just keep things even keel, mm-hmm. I think makes you a very good manager. And again, for him to be doing that so quickly at yeah. Chelsea, just tons of credit. The only thing about Potter at Chelsea is I do wonder if Todd Bowley got what he wanted out of this appointment. Because when Todd Bowley hired Green Potter, there was a lot of talk of cultural change, but also change in the style of play. And I don't really see that from Graham Potter. In fact, what I see from Graham Potter is Thomas Tuchel 2.0. Yep. And I think of, you know, the Barney gif where he's throwing, uh, or meme, sorry, when he's throwing Homer out of uh, out of the out of the bar. Yeah. And then he like turns around and Homer's... <laughs> Behind yeah. him already, yeah. or not? Not Barney. Sorry, it's it's Mo throwing Barney out of uh, out of Mo's, and then he turns around and Barney's still behind him. I wonder if Todd Bowley feels like that with 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 Graham Potter and Thomas Tuchel. Like he was expecting this more dynamic free flow. Uh, he just expected a lot more vibes from his team, and all of a sudden he's just got a better team, but still a Thomas Tuchel team. I wonder yeah. what to- Todd Bowley really thinks about the way Chelsea are playing. I, I hope that he doesn't care, uh, which is unlikely for a billionaire who wants to be as involved in Chelsea as Todd Bowley does. But it's, it's, uh, I, I've never been a police officer. I've seen plenty of TV shows and movies where there's always that, like, we need it with fresh eyes. We got to get fresh eyes on this. And it's like, we've seen this crime scene too many times. We need somebody new to come in and just sort of see if we've missed anything. And, and Chelsea feel like a, a team that needed fresh eyes, even if it's the same style and the same tactics i think just a person who can come in and communicate differently maybe doesn't have some of the baggage that thomas duca had already built up and wasn't able to get rid of and i wonder if it's just a matter of simplifying cutting out some of the needless stuff uh or, or like and maybe making things not quite as complicated as they had seemed and if that just has gotten the response from chelsea i guess time will tell because we could very much be having this same conversation about their next manager this time next season hopefully not because i'm enjoying uh Graham potter at chelsea i'm enjoying VAR on corner kicks. That's my final thumbs up for this game. Uh, just a brief mention. Uh, the Even Chelsea when they're penalty. on Scott McTominay? Yes, I know that made you sad. It made me sad. It made me frustrated. But it's just so funny to me that that seems to be the one area 
that players continue to forget that there's VAR. That every other aspect of things, you know you can't headbutt somebody away from the run of play because VAR is going to catch it and you're going to get red carded. You know that if you go in for a tackle too high, there's a risk that VAR is going to see it differently and give you that red or recommend that red. But with quarter kicks, for some reason, I think just because there's chaos and there's emotion, players just forget. And like Scott McTominay straight up rugby tackles somebody. And then it's like, what did I do? What are you talking about? Yeah. And it's it's just, you know what you did, man. We can see the replay. And and that seems to happen with surprising regularity. And and it just is a reminder of how like lawless corner kicks used to be before there was uh, VAR. So in that way, I appreciate yeah. VAR. You, you mentioned the motion there, right? As being a, as being a factor as to why players get get pulled into making these stupid decisions yeah, when they I have think VR. So. I think that was what went wrong for Scott McTominay because I don't know if you saw this, but before the corner kick gets taken, Armando Broja is pushing Scott Ooh. McTominay. He pushes him three times in the chest before the kick is taken, and by that time, Scott McTominay. You know, I've obviously watched them a lot for Scotland and I watched them for a lot for Manchester United. He he does allow the red mist to descend sometimes. Mm-hmm. He does seem quite a, a fiery character. So I think that is purely just retribution. He's decided, I'm just going to wrestle you to the ground, Armando Brohan. You'll never push me again. Oh, oh, oh dear. Oh, dear. A penalty. And uh, having come on as a sub five minutes ago and joined a very disciplined Manchester United performance, I have now completely ruined this for the rest of my team. I we're going long on this first game, not surprising since it's Man United, but there there's a I've played in a few teams where where like people on the team were sort of notorious for the red mist moments. And though I hate it when it happens, it is fascinating to see because it really does just come out of nowhere. And it's just like, oh, wow, you you had a little bit of Rage Hall there and that really made you mad. And it's a strange part of the game when Paul Scholes would just like, oh, he just booted somebody in the chest. Didn't see that coming. And that was kind of out of nowhere. So in that way, at least Scott McTominay makes things interesting by having a bit of the red mist on those corners. But VAR there uh, to police those pretty effectively. 1-1 between Chelsea and Man United. Let's take a quick break, Graham, and then let's get back to talk Tottenham v Newcastle. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Graham, Tottenham 1, Newcastle 2. Many things to be discussed. Where are your thumbs? So my thumbs are decidedly up when talking mm-hmm. about this game. And they're up for Miggy Almiron, who was once again excellent for Newcastle United in their away win over Tottenham on Sunday. And your face, Jack Grealish. Exactly. I suspect Jack Grealish was giving Almiron a big thumbs down or even a thumbs down to himself as as he watched the match. For anyone who doesn't know the the context of this, uh, Grealish said during Manchester City's title celebration, City did like a, a live social media Twitter stream 
where where the the team is on the the bus as it's going around Manchester on on the parade, and he's he's standing with Bernardo Silva, and basically Grealish, as a joke, says that Bernardo Silva should have been taken off in in the match. So he's referring to Man City's last game of the season, the the comeback game that won them the title, uh, where they they beat Aston Villa. He says that Bernardo was playing so badly he was quote playing like Almiron. Which uh, is a slightly str- strange thing to say when City weren't playing Newcastle, and it kind of suggests that Miguel Miron is living rent free in Jack Grealish's head. Yeah. And um, well, well, since Grealish has has said that about Almiron, Almiron's turned into basically a Ballon d'Or candidate. Uh, the way he burst through the, the Spurs defence and, and slid that finish under under Hugo Lloris, it was like he turned into Kylian Mbappe all of a sudden. And Almiron has scored as many Premier League goals this month as Jack Grealish has since joining Manchester City Ooh. a season and a half ago. So maybe Grealish now wishes he was playing like Miguel Almiron, who uh, has five goals in his last five Premier League games. Uh, Graham, so did you just remember that that shot from Jack Grealish, or is that a thing that's been doing the rounds? Because I'm hoping that you have these these things chambered for when it comes home to roost. Yeah, so I have a Google Doc that's just titled <laughs> "Beef," uh, and I I just list all the potential beef and 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 uh, come back to it. No, it's it's something that has something that's gone uh, around Twitter these last you. few weeks as uh, as Almiron has uh, as as I say become a, a Ballon d'Or candidate. So you've got the Google Doc of beef, comma, footballers, and then you've got the beef, comma, pies uh, spreadsheet. As exactly. Well. Yeah, okay. I like I like the organization. Uh, let, let's spend some more time with Newcastle because I think we're both enjoying uh, what Eddie Howe is doing. I think we, we could probably give some thumbs up to the way he is managing this team because they just seem really frustratingly sensible, this Newcastle yeah. team. Yeah, so Newcastle are now unbeaten in seven, and as you say, they just they just look like a very good team. They're up yep. into the top four. I don't know whether they're going to stay in the top four, but I'm pretty confident in saying I think they'll finish top seven. Um, I think yep. it'll be you know top yep. six and and them. I, I wrote a piece last week that basically said even before this result said we're now entering a. The realm where it's where it is a big seven and it's no longer a big six in the Premier League. I think Newcastle United are going to are going to stay up there. Obviously, a a, a big factor in that is the the takeover last year, the Saudi Arabian uh, takeover, and they have spent money, you know, on on a number of very good players. Bruno Gomares, who, by the way, he played this match uh, on having had not had any sleep the night before yeah. because his partner gave birth through the night. I'm I'm used to not having much sleep through parenthood, as I know you are as well, Taylor. But usually I just lie on the couch and watch episodes of Arrested Development the next day, not yep. when away at Spurs in the Premier League. So kudos to, to Bruno Gomares. But obviously he is he's become a, a star of, of, of this Newcastle team. But it's also in the way that Eddie Howe is just getting more out of the players that he has inherited. So um, Fabian Schaar and Joe Linton and Callum Wilson and Sean, Sean Longstaff, they've just all taken a massive step up since since Howe took over. And obviously Almiron is maybe at the top of that list because last season there were a lot of Newcastle fans who thought he was very wasteful and maybe not good, even good enough for the Premier League. And now he looks like one of their best players. So the ironic thing about Newcastle is, yeah, they've had the takeover, they've spent some money, but really the 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 vast majority of their, their improvement has come in what Eddie Howe has done with this with this team. And I wasn't particularly positive on his appointment when he was made, and he is he is uh he's making me eat humble pie, which is maybe the only pie that I don't like. <laughs> 
I didn't know there were. I, I thought it was just fruit pies, but I guess humble pie too. Uh, it reminded me, yeah, I know what you mean. Eddie Howe reminded me of Mark Hughes when he got appointed at Man yeah, City. And exactly. it was sort of like, you're good enough for now until we get the person we actually want or the kind of the pedigree manager we're looking for. But thus far, Eddie Howe uh, doing a good job of not uh, frustrating his Saudi overlords, but also managing the squad and getting the best out of them. Uh, that story about Bruno Guimaraes made me love him. Like he really, like really, I enjoy what he does on the field, but uh, mostly just because that is exactly how I think I would have hopefully approached it were I in his position. Cause I think I would have felt uh, like with my wife giving birth, I-, I tried to do like everything I possibly could. Cause uh you know, I, she had to carry the baby. I was like, I want to do some stuff. I want to, I want to help. I want to like, like prove that I can do things too. And so I love that Bruno Guimaraes like stayed up all night to try to do as much as he could. I have to feel like because he knew that if he then left to go play a game of football, that would probably not go over so well if he like slept the whole night <laughs> to rest up and then left and played football for an hour. I feel like he's going to get back to, uh, to an, to an angry partner and an angry baby. So uh, credit to him for, for doing the work and then going out and doing the work. Um, and I want to also give thumbs up yeah it's in newcastle i had them in my notes for their top four aspirations i don't know if they will stay in the top four though beating one of the teams that i thought would be in the top four certainly uh helps their credentials a bit but i think we just continue to see a very uh sensibly composed newcastle team that i think they'll just continue to add parts they have a stable manager so i think once you have that you can then sort of build around what they want, what their sort of their next steps in the evolution of the team will be. And I think they'll keep growing in that way. I will say thumbs down to Hugo Lloris for a suspect performance in this game. Uh, So for people who haven't seen it for the first goal for Newcastle, uh, it's it's kind of a direct ball over the top. Uh, Calvin Wilson running onto it. Hugo Lloris off his line. And I think initially is going to try to just like hoof it clear and then I think recognizes, oh, I might be able to control this one around Callum Wilson and then pass the ball and we'll have possession and I'll look silky and smooth. But because of where he takes it, and I think because Callum Wilson is running right at him, he ends up miscontrolling it with his knee and it goes about five yards in front of him beyond Callum Wilson. So then there's a collision Callum Wilson picks it up. Hugo Lloris has then kind of fallen backwards, I would say theatrically. And yeah. uh, it's a great you know finish. What, do, yeah. Do you know what reminded me, what it reminded me of the, the fall by Hugo Lloris? You know how when, if you're doing skydiving, you jump out of a plane and you kind of do like a star jump so that the wind yes. carries you yes. initially, yeah. Im- immediately? Yeah. That's basically what Hugo Lloris uh, does because he, he comes out the box, he collides with Callum Wilson, he realizes, hmm, I think I've just ran into yep. him there. I'm not going to yep. get the fill. So I need to sell this. And then so he kind of thrusts all his limbs out all at once basically jumping out the plane yeah and 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 i think expects in my opinion in that moment that's a goalkeeper expecting anytime a goalkeeper gets hit it's going to be a foul because it's in the box when you're outside the box that goes away a little bit and so i think there was an expectation of like oh and i fall over and the referee blows the whistle and uh, he's not blowing the oh they scored whoops okay that didn't go the way i thought it would and i think it's that miscontrol because at that point He's no longer really like making a play on the ball. He is now colliding with Callum Wilson. And the one thing I thought might end up getting this pull back was if you watch it from the angle behind the Reese where you can see uh, Callum Wilson's face, he does sort of square up at the last minute. You can see him look at Lloris and then adjust accordingly. And for a moment, I thought that was him like, all right, I'm going to body this guy. and I'm going to win the ball. But I think that's just human instinct of oh this person's about to slam into me i'm about to slam into them i'm going to position my body so that i do minimal damage 
And I think Larice is just not in control. So loses that one, then gets chipped. It's a great finish, by the way, but that yeah. sort of miscontrol does it. But then for the second goal, it's a lofted pass uh, from Larice out wide that is easily cut out. And then he does a thing that is the fatal mistake of indoor soccer goalkeepers. Uh, I will explain. But uh, as you said, Amaran dribbles the defense. He's at a very tight angle. Yuris goes out to, to make the play. And it's a way to score. In indoor soccer, you can dribble in on penalties. You, you're allowed to dribble in 1v1 with the goalie. And all you really have to do is wait for the goalkeeper to like sprawl at you and then pass it underneath them. And Yuris dives at this ball but gives so much like uh, gra- there's so much space between the ground and him as he dives for it that Am- Amaran just passes it underneath him, and it's and it's just clear that the like the emotion of giving that ball away, it's him then wanting to make up for it and make a play and, and make that hero save, but it's emotion trumping reason, and reason, as always, Sunny has taught us, should prevail uh, because I think otherwise <laughs> that would have been saved, but it wasn't. But credit to Miguel Amaran for the finish, less mm. so Hugo Lloris for those two moments, and and the defending in general from Spurs for that for that goal. So it's Lloris's yeah. kick out that puts Spurs in in trouble yep. initially, but then the defending from I can't remember the first player, but the second player is is, is Eric Dyer who just basically gets smoked by by, by Almiron as he runs into the box. But the defending kind of reminded me of do you know when you're playing FIFA and you're playing online and you can tell that the other player has put the controller down but all the all the players are kind of still running around you they're kind of jockeying you but they're not actually making a tackle and and you just kind of like run straight through that's basically how Spurs defended that goal they put the controller down by that point yeah, you you got to save the uh, the greenery for a stoppage in play, fella. You can't put the control down. That that can cost <laughs> you in the game. I I doubt that's what Eric Dyer was doing, but maybe maybe Tottenham just need a bit more alertness there. Credit to Newcastle for the win. Let's keep it moving. Let's give some credit to Nottingham Forest for their win. Graham, I think if we recorded this a couple days before this weekend, we would have been talking about how maybe Liverpool were back on track yeah. and rediscovered their form. I'm going to say thumbs up to the train that was on the track, or thumbs down, excuse me, to the train that had been on the track. Yeah, absolutely. So just when it seemed that Liverpool were back on that track after wins over Rangers, City and, and West Ham, this happens. Uh, 1-0 defeat to Nottingham Forest. Um, so it's certainly a, a thumbs down for Liverpool and sound logic behind their performances this season because... It has been really difficult to work out what's going on with them, and and this was another another chin scratcher. So Klopp said afterwards that it was down to set pieces that Liverpool had opportunities to to score from a few corner kicks and free kicks, and 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 didn't take them. And and that might have been true. There was obviously the, the Van Dijk header late on, but that wasn't really why Liverpool lost this match. So according to Opta, Nottingham Forest actually had the the greater expected goals than than Liverpool, one point eight five to one six six. They also created five big chances. Uh, Liverpool only created four. And then in terms of where the game was played, uh, 24% of the, of the match was played in uh, Forest's third of the pitch and 22.4 was, was, was played in Liverpool's third. So that doesn't exactly suggest that Liverpool were dominating this match as obviously they have the, the talent to do so. Um, and Liverpool only won possession in the final third. Um, they, they only won it in the, in the final third of the pitch once more than Nottingham Forest which is kind of unheard of for Liverpool, a way to a, a promoted team with their high press to, to, to be that ineffective in winning the ball back. And they did have the majority of the possession, but they, they just did so little with it. And at no point did it feel like Liverpool were about to, to break Forrest down. There was no creativity. There was a lack of ideas. 
I think Liverpool missed Thiago, which that's not the first time I've said that this season. And I think Darwin Nunes was was a miss as well, just as he seemed to be finding his feet last week. Seemed like a, a bit of a landmark week for him as a Liverpool player. So it was unfortunate for him that he had to come out of the team. But then the players that come into this Liverpool team, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, Fabio Carvalho, all talented young players, but none of them played that well. And it, it maybe just highlighted how Liverpool don't have the depth of uh, of some of their rivals, say City, for example. So I guess in in some sense, uh, relating back to our discussion on the big thing last week, Jurgen Klopp might be feeling some some vindication in the way that Liverpool flopped, but everything else about this match was was very negative for them. Graham, I'm not asking you for a hot take. I am asking you for your honest, present take. But as we record, a Liverpool... Take. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> hopefully a a a somewhat spicy take. Uh, but Liverpool okay. currently eighth in the table, 16 points. Uh, we've got Newcastle fourth on 21, Chelsea also on 21, Man United 20, Fulham 18, then Liverpool. Uh, no disrespect to Fulham, I doubt they stay... Uh, that high for the entirety of the season that you never know. They could do the Leicester and go all the way uh, in seventh. But my question for you is, if there were a team falling out of the top four to allow for Newcastle or Chelsea to drop back in, is it going to be Liverpool? Do you think Liverpool finish this season right now at time of recording? Do you think they finish outside the top four? Oh, that's very difficult. Um Right. Because yeah, it just it feels like they keep. I'll, I'll give you some time to think. Because I will say the reason why I ask is because first of all, that feels ridiculous. I predicted Liverpool to win win the Premier League this season. I don't think that's going to happen. They're so currently twelve points behind. <laughs> uh, but it, it it's still Liverpool. It's still a Jurgen Klopp team. They still have the talent. They do. It still feels like a team that could just rattle off twelve straight wins, and there they yeah. are, right back in in the thick of things. But every time I think they're going to do that, as you pointed out in the show notes the train derails and things go wrong. And and there is about Liverpool this this sense that just even when you fix the one part, something else isn't working. And this is a game where Trent Alexander-Arnold once again doesn't start. He does come in and play. But things just don't feel like they're clicking. Uh, and I take no joy in this because I like, I would love a three-horse title race or a four-horse or whatever it could be. But right now it does just seem like it's going to be Liverpool stopping and starting. Maybe this is their the year that they need to rebuild. Mm. That's where I am on it. I would love to hear what you think. So I think I have to go to the process of elimination to come mm-hmm. up with an answer to this. And who is, if, if I don't think Liverpool are finishing in the top four, then who is ahead of them? I think Arsenal and City are pretty yep. much nailed on to finish in the top four. Maybe this is recency bias, having just watched Spurs play two bad games, but I would predict that they will probably fall out of the top four. Um, and then I just look at Chelsea under Potter. I think the consistency that they've got already, I'm putting them in, in my top four. So really it comes down to probably... Manchester United, Spurs, or Liverpool? And no, Newcastle? Yeah, I think. No, nah, I don't think Liverpool are. Sorry, I don't think Newcastle are going to okay. stay up there as, 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 over the full season. Yep. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think Liverpool. Why not? I'll make a prediction. Yeah, Liverpool will finish outside the top four. Okay. Um, I think Chelsea, I think Man United and Tottenham at this moment in time. I don't know if Tottenham are a better team than them, but they're, they certainly seem more effective in grinding out results than Liverpool. I think that's the thing that has disappeared from Liverpool this season. You cast your mind back to even when they won the, the title and they, in terms of results, they were phenomenal that season. And I'm not saying they didn't play well in that season because obviously they did, but there was, there was a good number of matches where Liverpool didn't play at their best in that season. But there were, do you remember all like the late winners and the comebacks? Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. They just had that quality. Yep. And I feel like in this match, that's the sort of thing that was missing. You never felt like the comeback was coming. You never felt that spirit. 
And so they're still playing well this season. Obviously, they play well against City last week when it looked like things were 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 well in their world again. But it's the it's the it's the comebacks and the late goals and and everything like that. The team spirit that seems to be missing this season. And I think Tottenham and even Manchester United, to be honest, have yep. have that over Liverpool this season. I think. For Manchester United, a lot will depend on what happens with Ronaldo and what they do in January. If they're able to get somebody who consistently score, consistently finish, I think that is a difference maker for them. If they can't, I think they're going to continue to have some of the erratic results we've seen, and I don't think that gets them in there. I think Chelsea are safe. It's going to be really interesting to see who that fourth fourth team is. Uh, but obviously, we will keep an eye on that. For now, though, we should spend some time on Nottingham Forest and give them yeah. some credit. I've got some thumbs to thumbs for them. Thumbs up to Dean Henderson for the very late uh, uh, save on Virgil van Dijk. He gets down low. He gets a strong hand to it. He keeps it out. And also, just does a good job to get it at least a little bit away from the goal line so it's not just there for a toe poke in. He pushes it. It's only a couple of yards, but it's still enough for his teammate to get rid. But mostly... Thumbs up to Dean Henderson for wearing a hat during this game. Goalkeepers <laughs> wearing hats feels immediately like this game is taking place on like in an alternate universe or something. It feels like it's taking place in the 90s, but you love to see it a baseball hat on a yeah. goalkeeper, Graham. Yeah, I mean, Dean, Dean Henderson loves a baseball cap. He's got a, he's got a, a track record of wearing a, a baseball cap. He's like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. And, and I guess <laughs> it, it, it makes sense that goalkeepers... <laughs> wear caps when they yeah. quite frequently have to look directly into the sun yeah it's kind of uh it's kind of baffling that more goalkeepers don't don't wear uh caps so yeah i'm totally with you i, I like the sight of a, of a goalkeeper in a cap what i want to see though is henderson use the cap as a weapon like odd job and bond just like <laughs> you know we need to get him a bowler hat with razor blades. There you go. It's exactly. A combination odd job Peaky Blinders and just let him uh, hurl that thing around. It it really does look like a person has wandered in from watching their like seven-year-old's soccer game. It is now starting in goal for Nottingham Forest is sort of the vibe that's going on there. But a great performance by him. That made me happy. A great mm. performance by Nottingham Forest, including uh, Taiwo Awonyi uh, for the goal. Thumbs up to to him for that goal. Thumbs down to me for uh, always calling him Awonyi, which is what I'm, I've always called him the whole time. Uh, and apparently that was incorrect. But Graham, uh, I, I'm guessing you've got things to say about him. You've added a thing to the running order that makes me extremely happy. I want to discuss his celebration. Can we spend yeah. 14 minutes on that, please? <laughs> yes, happily. So thumbs down to uh, uh, Wanyi for his muted celebration yeah. after scoring this goal. He muted. was at Liverpool muted. for yes. for for six years. Yeah, muted celebration. He was at Liverpool for six years and didn't make a single appearance. If there's a club that he should do the biggest celebration yeah. possible against, it's surely Liverpool. He should have done an Emmanuel uh, Adebayor all the way to the other end of the pitch in front of the Liverpool fans. That that's basically what I oh, yeah. I would have done. And then the, the weird bit about it that was already weird enough but the weird bit was when he did the muted celebration then he decided (laughs) midway through as he's walking back actually I am going to celebrate this a bit and he and he jumped around a bit yeah. It was like he'd never scored a goal before. It was it was like when you see one of those centre backs, you know, a Tony Hibbert, who's never scored a goal and they don't really know what what to <laughs> yeah. do. But this is a guy who scored something like twenty goals in the Bundesliga last season. It was it was a bizarre reaction to a, a very important goal for Forrest. That's what I found so strangely captivating. It, it was like he he was caught in two mindsets of don't you know don't celebrate at all just like kind of stand there solemnly walk back because that's that's what a non-celebration is when you score against your former club and you just sort of like like usually like hands up you're sort of like okay you know i scored i don't want to celebrate great goal let's keep it going 
but he doesn't do that. He sort of does do that, like that three quarter jog sprint thing that you do when you're about to go celebrate. Then he stops, but his, you can see he's like, like his fists are clenched. He is fully flexing, <laughs> but then trying to keep a very stern face. And it's just not happening. Like, dude, you are internally celebrating as loud as you can be. And then you're right. Eventually when, again, maybe he thinks the cameras are off of him. He does just a little celebration. And it was just, it was, I found that really, really interesting to be like, you're not quite not celebrating, but you're also not fully celebrating. You've gone muted. And it was captivating. Yeah, another FIFA reference it is like when that when someone does three celebrations yes. all in once and just yes. kind of mashes their hand into yes. the into the trackpad. Yeah, it was a weird one. I will, for the life of me, no matter how many times I play that video game, never fully know what does what celebration. So I will always end up doing some weird combination that usually ends up with they really need. I mean, it's fine, but it's always awkward when you when you hit the wrong combination and like Eric Dyer does the uh, the Islam like like touching the head to the ground sort of thing. It's like (laughs) I I don't think Eric Dyer converted last I saw. So, yes, I don't know about that one, Eric, uh, or me for mashing buttons. Uh, I'm going to move us swiftly away from that one. We've got a couple more things in the Premier League and a few more things from around the globe to get to one more break and we'll be back to get it all done. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back. Graham, we started this show by being optimistic about Americans. I think it's time for us to be slightly down on Americans because Leeds once again losing this weekend. It feels like thumbs down on Jesse Marsh's career security once again. Yeah, unfortunately, as as a, a thumbs down for for Marsh and and Leeds United, I fear he might be in real trouble yeah. at, at, at Leeds. I said last week that that Leeds really needed at least one win from the the two matches against Leicester City and, and Fulham. Unfortunately, Leeds lost both of those games and they're now in the in the bottom three. They've lost four in a row and. In some ways, Marsh has been unfortunate because Leeds have actually had good spells in, in, in a lot of those matches, particularly the, the Arsenal game that we spoke about last weekend, where that was a fairly even match and Arsenal were, were a little bit fortunate to come away with three points from that game. But if we're being reductive about it, since taking over, I wouldn't say Marsh has really improved the attack and, and the defence feels as vulnerable as it was for, for much of last season under under Bale. So maybe not the last month where it felt like Leeds were conceding six and seven in every goal that in every game that they were they were playing, but certainly it, it doesn't feel like a strong defence. And and their defending on set pieces against Fulham in this game was just absolutely abysmal. The, the they conceded the first goal from a corner and then the second one is a recycled corner where Leeds just completely lose their met their, their their markers, their men 
and De Cordova Reed has a, a free header from from the second cross cross into the box. And had he not got the header, I think there's another Fulham player behind him who is also unmarked. So the the coordination defensively just isn't there for Leeds at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Mar seem, he seems pretty certain that he's not getting the sack, at least not right now. He says that there is unity. Um, with the board and it seems like he's correct and that I don't expect a statement today on Monday to come through saying that he has lost his job when that match finished yesterday I thought that was a that, I thought that was a possibility that he might be gone by the time that we record this but it feels like Leeds they gave they gave Bielsa maybe longer than they should have last season so there is a precedent for them to, to give a manager time but it's Liverpool away next up for Leeds so that doesn't bode too well <laughs> the two games after that are Bournemouth and and, and Wolves if Leeds lose those three games, if they lose to Liverpool, which you would say, despite Liverpool's struggles recently, is probably going to happen. But if they also lose to, to Bournemouth and Wolves, I think he has to be gone. I think there would there would be vind- there would be justification justification sorry for Leeds to make that decision. The most concerning concerning thing for Marsh, I thought, was that was the the sound of booing at full time. Yeah, and managers very rarely come back from that sort of thing, and it, it's quite notable for Marsh because maybe I'm naive but it did feel like he had a connection with the Leeds fans and and that seems to be completely gone now it still wasn't quite as bad as the booing Steven Gerrard got in his final match as as Villa manager where the (laughs) the Villa fans were singing you'll never work again which was which was savage about their own manager but it's not reached that level yet for for Marsh at, at, at Leeds but it does feel like he desperately needs not just some results but some good performances and some some wins to give him a chance yeah. and uh yeah if, if he's if he's gone bright side for americans as if he's gone by the time the world cup happens then you know there's your u.s yep. men's <laughs> national team manager <laughs> i'm sure some people on twitter would 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 like that uh but yeah it's, yes. it's not going so well for marsh at least I at think, the moment i think that is probably true uh sticking with the gerard comparison for a second there yeah lots of negative singing for him i don't think he had a very fun weekend uh but also reading about his sacking and learning that the chairman decided to sack him midway through the game uh yeah. like like it was clear things weren't working he's like that's it it's done they called the board meeting i think as the game was happening i do he wonder to, he, he had to travel on the bus back so from fulham having being sacked yeah he had to sit among his players back like why would you not just stay that game was in uh, was at fulham why would you not just stay in yeah. london like find a hotel for the night i'm sure steve g can afford that wow uh, that's yeah it's just i think that's not a great look either though if the bus just pulls away and there he is like not only is he sacked but now he's like mar- marooned in london i guess there's worse places to be left it's not quite a desert island uh but i do sort of to go back to marsh i wonder if there's a chance that that liverpool game is I don't know if a poison chalice is is the right phrasing, but it's it's basically a team that they don't necessarily expect to beat, and so it's one where like you can all right turn it around against this this game, and if it's one nil to Liverpool inside the first ten minutes, I wonder if that is his fate sealed. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens with Liverpool and with those next three games. Graham, so with Leeds for a moment though. Uh, like reading a lot of the message boards and the athletic articles and then the comments about uh, in those articles, first of all, always a risky proposition because you're going to get a lot of uh, there seems to be a, a faction of Leeds fans that think Sean Deitch will solve things. That seems to be a pretty okay. seismic shift away from what they have done been doing previously. Some people expecting Pochettino to come in. The point being made that if he rejected Villa, he's probably not going to Leeds. Um so there are candidates, certainly. But my question for you, you talked about a few things there. 
what how many things because i think we always say like things can be two things it feels like in this case when you're talking about what's going wrong at leeds it feels like Mm. things can be several things my list my abbreviated list is basically that first of all teams have kind of figured out that they're going to high press they're going to run everywhere they're going to be chaos and if you can keep the ball moving especially if you can do big switches you're going to tire them out and they will fade that's one thing then there's the idea that there's been a, a a small squad size historically and currently that they don't really have fully the quality and squad depth to compete in the Premier League. And part of that is on Victor Ora for the way he's gone about, Orta, excuse me, for the way he's gone about recruitment. Uh, I have some, like, I, I don't know if I buy into that fully because they've spent a lot of money and not uh, sold a ton of players until this past window. Uh, but I think there is something to be said for the way the squad uh, is built. And then I think there's, it's undeniable that Jesse Marsh is having trouble making adjustments in game like we talked Graham Potter was able to do. I think he has trouble kind of making his team all play in the same style with the same messaging, with the same communication. And so I, I think there are many things going wrong with leads. I don't know if Jesse Marsh is, is the thing that's mm. going wrong, but he is certainly a thing that isn't helping. Yeah. So there has been some frustration among the leads fans with, with the boards. One um, transfer decision that keeps getting pointed out is the the decision to let Dan James leave on loan to go to Fulham. Now, not necessarily because Dan James is is a brilliant footballer. He's not a game changer for Leeds United. But the idea was that James would leave Leeds and they would they would use his, his wages, essentially, to sign another centre forward, which I think we can all see, as good as Patrick Bamford has been for Leeds in the past. Yeah. He's, he's had problems with injuries. He's missing a lot of chances this season. So they certainly could do with another goal-scoring number nine. And the idea it, was the justification on you. Graham, is, is, it, is, it harsh, is it harsh to say that like Patrick Bamford reminds me of like a, a, a U.S. men's national team eligible striker? Put it that way. That it's like he's got <laughs> moments where it's like, oh, yeah, he could do it. And then there's moments where it's like, I don't know if I want that guy to be playing for my team anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the sort of striker that when you make an argument in favour of him, your pitch just goes up a, a little, <laughs> an octave too high, which gives away that you're not you're not totally convinced by your own argument. Uh, yeah, he does good. do a lot. He's good. He's uh, you know he's got his moments. Yeah, he yeah, does a lot for again. the team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of American strikers like that at, at the moment. But yeah, it feels like this this squad in general that Leeds have is 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 quite lightweight in terms of the options that they have. I remember Leeds fans last season, a couple of them that I follow, when when things were going bad for them under Bielsa, making the argument that Bielsa maximised the, the talent within that squad and maybe created this illusion that the team Leeds have is good enough for the Premier League. Like Patrick Bamford, as good as he's done for Leeds, before he played under Bielsa was considered a championship striker. Like He had time in the Premier League and didn't really do it for other teams. There are loads of players in that Leeds team that that are like that. Liam Cooper, someone that uh, I've watched a lot for Scotland, he doesn't start for Scotland because he's he's not as good as some of the other options we have. And I wouldn't say we have great options in defence at at national team level for Scotland. So I do think there are some concerns of the talent of that squad. I think the frustrating thing for Marsh is that if you look at Leeds' uh, underlying attacking statistics, things like chance creation and shot-creating actions there's actually been an improvement since he came in and they're not ranked. I think they're ranked mid- middle of the table in the Premier League for those sort of things. So they are they are doing a lot of things well in the attacking third of the pitch. They're just not putting the ball in the back of the net. I do also think they have they have some trouble playing through the lines. So there is a disconnect between 
the defence and the midfield and the attack. And that's one of the things when you say opposition teams have figured them out. I think that's one of the things people have realised about Leeds United opposition managers is they press very high themselves, but they're not the most press resistant team in their own right. And they can be hassled and they can be hired and they can be forced into mistakes. And we have seen that from Leeds this season. So you're right, there are a number of different things that are going wrong for them, but at the core of it, I, I do kind of wonder whether this Leeds team just needs to get to January and actually spend a bit of money. Or it's not necessarily down to money, but recruit yeah. smartly so that they get better players into that club. We will see if Jesse Marsh is still there when they do that. I think you're absolutely right. These next three games are going to be critical in determining whether or not he will be. As we've already mentioned, Steven Gerrard no longer at Villa, but thumbs down to him, says Graham Ruffin, uh, for... I guess, being the problem, Graham? Is that a fair summary? <laughs> yeah, I think you might have been the problem, mate, Stevie G. Uh, something tells me that Villa's pl- Villa players don't didn't like Stevie G very much. They were, actually, don't have it in front of me, but they were something like 3-0 up within 20 minutes in, in, in their game, uh, beat Brentford in yeah. the end 4-0. And considering the big problem under Gerrard was that Aston Villa were just a dreadfully dull team to watch in terms of their attacking output, to score four goals in the very next game. Like, their uh, their yeah. caretaker manager, Danka, can't really have had much time on the training pitch. So it really does just feel like a complete reaction to Steven yeah. Gerrard leaving that club. You can't even really make the argument of, well, you know, maybe the caretaker manager has come in and he's done some different things. He does actually drop uh, John McGinn for this game, which is a thumbs down from me because obviously I, I love uh, John McGinn and his beautiful backside. But other than that, <laughs> it doesn't really feel like Villa did much difference. The big difference being that Steven, Steven Gerrard was no longer in the dugout and that was enough for them to absolutely obliterate Brentford in this game. Uh, Graham, we're obviously going long, but Ryan isn't here to to keep us on track, so I'm fine with it. Why do you love John McGinn's backside? I've never seen a player who uses uh, buttocks more effectively <laughs> in the game of football. Uh, uh, he 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 just it, it it gives them that like low center of gravity. It just anchors them to the ground. He's very effective at time wasting, which for Scotland we have a lot of nervy like one nil wins is very very useful just to send him into the corner flag, and he will he will waste five minutes of the match with his backside it is a very useful quality to have we haven't yet talked about what this week's big thing topic will be but now it might have to be Graham Ruffin assembles his uh the buttocks 11 of players who use their backside <laughs> Hazard. Maybe, yeah there you go maybe, maybe both playing play- and sitting on the bench <laughs> just shots fired all over the place today I like it uh Graham any other uh Premier League thumbs up thumbs down before we keep it moving um, so thumbs down for Arsenal, I guess, dropping points at Southampton. I think the negative for them is they kind of looked like Arsenal again, not not in a good way, where that was a match where they actually take the lead through Granit Xhaka. I'm not ready for a world where Granit Xhaka is both good at what he does and also liked by Arsenal fans, but that seems to be the place that we're at at the moment. He puts Arsenal 1-0 up with a, with a very nice finish, two goals in two games for him. But then it just felt like Arsenal dropped out of the game and it, it sort of felt like the match... The sort of match where they they have struggled under Arteta, and one of the big positives of this season is they've been winning those games. You know that that game last week away to Leeds very much felt like a game they would have lost in previous seasons. They didn't lose this game, but nonetheless, dropping points away to Southampton is it it doesn't say a lot for your title aspirations and just feeds this belief that I have that as well as Arsenal have played, City are going to get them and City are going to win another title. Yeah, was it your buddy who who was saying that? It's like, come on, they're going to get caught eventually. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah a friend that I've got who is an Arsenal fan, and even before this game was saying, no, we're not, win- yeah. we're not winning the title. All right, well, they will not be winning uh, the MLS title either, though there are now I- four teams who could. Yes, go ahead. I was just going to bring one more thumbs oh, yes. up into yeah. the discussion. So Brendan Rodgers being Brendan Rodgers, again, thumbs up for him. So Leicester City put four goals past Wolves in, in, a, in a 4-0 win. Thumbs down for, for them, by the way. And it was like Rodgers had been revived in the post-match interview where he, he, he talked about... It was the Brendan Rodgers bingo card. It was he talked about character. He talked about the honesty of the team. It was all done in Brendan Rodgers' mannerisms. He's, he's back. And Jamie Vardy is also back. So he downed a can of monster before coming off the bench, scored, and then celebrated in front of the Wolves fans while screaming at them, you effing stink. That wow. is a Jamie Vardy full house. That's a, that is a Jamie Vardy party right there is what that is. Wow. All right, Jamie Vardy having a party indeed. Uh, Major League Soccer time, Graham Ruffin. Uh, a few quick ones to get through because I'm going to go in much more detail on MLS playoffs tomorrow with Sam Stasekel. But thumbs up to the Philadelphia Union for their 1-0 win over FC Cincinnati. Same for LAFC and their 3-2 win over the LA Galaxy in what was really one of the most fun fun matches I've yeah. seen in a while. Uh, I will not do a Stefan from SNL impression, but I did have it as this match had everything, an aging Italian substitute, a stoppage time winner, a flopping Spaniard, really so many things, a flopping uh, Mexican as well. Carlos Vela, I would argue, flopped for his uh, uh, penalty shot that then ended up being a free kick, but it was just all over the place. The atmosphere was great, uh, and I thought this game was electric. Graham, for you, this was probably on at like three in the yeah. morning, so I'm not yeah, sure how much down of for you've that. seen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, thumb, thumbs, down, thumbs down for the time zone difference, but I did watch the highlights of, of, of this game the, the following morning, and it was everything that I hoped it would be. Yeah. El Trafico at this point is just, it felt like for a number of years the, the California Classical was the most reliable MLS fixture for drama, but I, I, I think El Trafico has completely usurped yes. that now. Just Absolutely. every game between those two teams is, is a spectacle. Yep. Uh, so we have LAFC uh, moving on to the Western Conference final. So to NYCFC, who get a 3-1 win on the road at Montreal. Feels like NYCFC doing exactly what they did last season and finding yeah. a way to keep winning. Uh, we'll see how far they can keep that going. So they'll play uh, Philly at Philly. And then last night we had Austin versus FC Dallas with... An atmosphere so ridiculous that uh, John Champion at Taylor Twelman had to like almost scream into their microphones. So then <laughs> when like the audio, like, you know, that thing, Graham, when like you're recording and you're being so loud that it gets distorted almost. Yeah, it peaks. Yeah, that kept happening over and over again with their mics because they were having to scream over the crowd noise. Taylor Twelman started to lose his voice really early on. And I and I think had to kind of limit his commentary as a result. I pictured him just drinking mass amounts of tea during this game. So again, <laughs> incredible atmosphere in that one. Yeah, everyone in Austin drinking beer and Taylor Twelman with his chamomile yeah. tea. Yes, of course. Just trying to get through the match. <laughs> yeah, and I would say uh, karmically, this finishes uh, 2-1 to Austin, so congratulations to them. But thumbs down to FC Dallas players for being jackasses during Austin corners. Graham, I don't know if you saw this, but... The uh, the uh, Dallas players were warming up right by the corner flag where the kick was being taken. And every time they were like warming up too close, like right, right, right next to where the ball was being taken. But then they were talking. They were like, like as the, the kick was taking his Drews, he was taking the kick. They would sort of like flinch and step in front. And it was just not like it's not illegal. I'm not trying to be uh, pearl clutching here, but it, it was just not a good look. It just when you're especially when you're already two nil down, it just yeah, looks like, oh, you fully that. resorted to like, like 
doing anything you can and cheating and being the yeah. villains of this one. Like, way to paint yourselves as the villains, FC Dallas. I, w- I was going to ask this, and I, and I did put on, I recorded this game, and I, and I watched this game in the background while I was I was um, taking my notes for this episode, but I, I have to say I wasn't fully engaged in the game, so I didn't, I didn't catch this. But I know that Austin scored two goals very quickly yeah. uh, in, in the first half, so that was my next question was, are FC Dallas time-wasting when they're going out of, of MLS playoffs? I think they were, I don't know what they were trying to do. I guess to just like throw it off. But when it's a corner being taken, yeah, you're right. And it did delay things like pretty consistently. The ref would have to go over and have a word and back them up. And the AR would like, like uh, call a halt to the play to make sure that things were right. Yeah. So in that way, it also disrupted their own game. Good point, Graham. Way to shoot yourselves in the foot, Dallas. Congratulations, Austin. So we've got Austin LAFC uh, as the Western Conference final. We're going to have some good games, Graham. We're going to have a good MLS Cup. We're going to have a good NWSL championship. Thumbs up to the Kansas City Current and the Portland Thorns for advancing to the NWSL final. Uh, And Crystal Dunn's goal was just so, so good. Major thumbs up. Talk us through it. Like, I think four or five months after giving birth, she's there scoring winners. So I think it was something like 150 days or something like that after 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 giving birth. Yeah. Uh, Portland Thorns deep into stoppage time against the uh, against the the wave. Game's tied, and a corner kick kind of gets partially cleared to the edge of the box, and Crystal Dunn just unleashes this rocket of a shot, which no goalkeeper was was saving. It's a it's a packed crowd at, at Providence Park. The another great atmosphere. Talking about the atmosphere at Austin, the mm-hmm. atmosphere at Providence Park for this game was incredible as well and a good number of traveling fans from from the wave as, as well but the fact that crystal dunn scores that goal puts uh the thorns through to, to to the final the fact that she's back in the national team as well it just really is incredible and and mm-hmm. just kind of puts into perspective what uh what women can do generally i was trying to yep. think of a way that to, to word that but i think that's how that's that's how, how i would describe it women are amazing Yep, women good at things. I agree. Cosign for me. Uh, Graham, Fede Valverde also good at things? Yeah, I mean, this is just getting ridiculous, yep. Fede Valverde. You, you, a, team, you a team of Crystal Dunn and Fede Valverde, do they win everything? Yes, okay. yes. Yep. Just yep. two, two yep. players who, who, who do it all, despite the logic of football saying that that's not allowed. So I can't remember what the, the, ex- the exact saying, saying is, but there's a saying or someone said something where basically our manager or player said something which is basically that the game of football is like trying to cover the the bed with your duvet. If you pull it up to your head, your feet stick out at the bottom. There's always something missing. You can't if you if you're more attacking, you're more open at the back. If you're more defensive, you're not so good in the attack. But Fede Valverde and I guess Crystal Dunn as well is just a a giant duvet. He's he's back defending, then he's playing in midfield, then he's getting forward and scoring screamers as he did in this this Real Madrid game, this win over Sevilla, where he just unleashes a rocket, Crystal Dunn-esque from the, from the edge of the box. That's not allowed. You're not allowed to just do it all in football. Like you have to have a weakness and I'm not convinced Dunn and, and Valverde do. <laughs> No weaknesses for Dunn and Valverde. Uh, no weaknesses so far for Napoli. Thumbs up to them for keeping the dream alive uh, with a 1-0 win over Roma. A late winner from Victor Osimen. Yeah, Another three points. I love this goal. It's pretty amazing. It's everything that you want from him. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's another direct ball. It's him versus Chris Smalling. And... Smalling has position. Uh, Osimen is between Smalling and the goal, but but Smalling definitely is is right side is is in a position to be able to either control this ball and take it towards the uh, sideline and then clear it, or just have that first time clearance. And I think Osimen does a very clever little thing that very good strikers do, which is he he sort of 
engages physically with the defender, but not enough to knock him off, not enough to foul. But it's it's just a bump for Smalling to basically then like try to anticipate that contact and in so doing loses focus on the ball. And I think sort of goes to step to brace against Osimhen, who is now trying to run around him. And that's where he loses that ground smalling. That's where he's basically outplayed. Mm. And it's telling to me that he doesn't even shout for the foul. He doesn't start complaining about the contact. He just sort of jogs off the field and looks straight down as Osimhen runs away to celebrate because gets that ball and smashes it, absolutely crushes his finish. He hits yeah. it so hard, if people haven't seen this one, that it hits the side netting and it and it and it hits it so hard that it it like the force carries it forward a little bit more. So from the camera angle, it looks like it just stays in place and hangs in the air for like a second before then rebounding out. He whacks that ball and gets the win and it's a great goal for him and another great win for Napoli. Yeah, I mean the angle for that shot from yeah. from Osman. So while while Smalling, you're right, Osman gets the better of him as the ball is played in behind. But Smalling, as Osman's taken that shot, or, or before he's about to take that shot, probably thinks he's he's pretty safe. You know, most players would control that, um, kind of reset the play, put a cross into the middle. But the fact that Osman gets that amount of power and into the far corner of the net is is incredible. I don't think there's many players in world football that that could do that at this moment. Maybe Erling Haaland. It was quite a Haaland esque yes, finish. Yes, it I was. I think. Osman and Haaland, maybe the only two strikers in world football that 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 could do that, and it just adds to the sense that. I really hope this season is Napoli's season. I, I am now fully invested in them winning yep. Serie A. This, 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 it's now uh, 11 wins in a row for them, which is their longest streak since 1986. And what happened in 1986, Maradona helped them win the Scudetto. So there's all these comparisons and parallels being drawn, and it very much feels like they've got a special team at the moment. I'm very excited for Napoli. I'm very excited to ask you this next question, Graham. Erling Holland, is he in the Buttocks 11? I feel like he, he uses, <laughs> uses uh, his physical size a little bit, including that derriere. So his buttocks are... This is such a weird show. Discussion. I'm so into it. <laughs> yeah, you can tell that Joe and Ryan aren't here. <laughs> he, Erling Haaland has a big backside, right? But it is in proportion to the rest of his body. So I think, you know, to get into the Buttocks 11, you have to have a disproportionate size of, of oh, buttocks man. which is John McGinn yeah. and Eden Hazard because you know they're obviously quite short guys whereas Erling Haaland is just a giant all over so maybe he doesn't make the buttocks 11 on that justification Raheem Sterling uh yeah actually yeah Sterling is he's quite good at using that back there we go there we go I love any question that makes Graham immediately uncomfortable but then powers through to realize that he has a lot to say on the topic always <laughs> makes me happy this is one such thing we're gonna close Graham uh I earlier took time to praise VAR in the Man United Chelsea game uh in what felt like several hours ago but hopefully it was only one hour ago uh do you have thoughts on VAR in Scotland yeah, so thumbs down to VR in Scotland, and this I won't have registered on the yep. radar of, of, of many outside Scotland, but this weekend was the first weekend of VR in Scottish football. I know we're about five years behind the rest of the world, but that is generally how things work in Scotland. Just in general society, we're about five years behind the rest of the world, sometimes 50 years behind the rest of the world. And uh, yeah, VR in Scottish football, it went... As badly as everyone knew it would, uh, there was a highly chaotic match in the, in the early kickoff on Saturday between Hearts and Celtic, which for anyone who, who doesn't know, that's a pretty toxic rivalry. It's not one of the games you want to have as on, on one of the first weekends of VAR. And there was disallowed goals. It finished 4-3. There was disallowed goals. There was non-penalty calls and penalty calls and offside calls. It was a nightmare for the officials. And you now have a lot of conspiracy theories 
and Celtic fans saying VAR has been brought in to stop them being from being successful. And this isn't necessarily a Celtic-specific thing because if it'll, it'll be Rangers fans making that argument in another match probably this weekend. And it was just always going to be this way in Scottish football and, and VAR is only going to add to the paranoia and only add to the reasons for us uh, to, to fight amongst ourselves in Scottish football, which also yeah. happened in the Scottish Cup between uh, Dunbar yes, and is. Stirling University this weekend. Uh, yeah, Graham, do you have any connection to Stirling University? Do, do, do you know That's why they seem so angry? <laughs> yeah, it, do, do, do the classes, does the course load just make you have to volley a ball into your prone opponent? So it was actually a Dunbar player that volleyed the ball into the, into the Sterling ah, University player. So Sterling University is on my part. I apologize. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did the last year of my degree at, at Sterling University, so it's, it's a place that I I know very well. Uh, so for anyone who hasn't seen it, the Dunbar player is sent off for it's it's a Scottish Cup match, um, and the Dunbar player is sent off for a pretty nasty tackle down the back of a Sterling Uni player's leg. He then turns around with the ball and boots it straight into the Sterling Uni player lying on the ground in in, in agony and when he's confronted by the other team he shoves someone to the ground uh just to compound things you know barely a foul if you ask me this this is what scottish football is about if if there's not a a fight it's not a real match in my opinion so this is this is what everyone wants to see strong begbie from train spotting vibes about that whole sequence of just like the the instant anger and then the also kind of unstoppable force as he waded through the Sterling players. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I don't I don't know if that makes me want to play football in Scotland, Graham. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, the, the 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 studs down the back of the the, the opposition players' legs is essentially yeah. Begby throwing the glass over the balcony, exactly. and then yeah. chaos ensues. From I, that who point. did this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, speaking of chaos ensuing, let's bring this chaos to an end. But Graham, I've really enjoyed our thumbs up, thumbs down weekend review, listeners. If you have, uh, if you've liked the change, let us know because we weren't quite sure if it would work. But uh, I've enjoyed sort of talking about things the way we want to for as long as we want to. Lucy Goosey. Uh, yeah, a little bit Lucy Goosey, but I'm good with it, uh, including the backside chat. Graham Ruthven, <laughs> thank you for that chat and many other things today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, listeners, thank you all again. Again, let us know if you like this one. Uh, and if you didn't as well, we're happy to hear that too, though I will uh, weep uncontrollably. For now, many more shows this week. We're going to be talking MLS. We're going to be doing list of questions. We're going to talk uh, Champions League. But for now, we'll talk to you soon. 